It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 173 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the flyweight main event to my UFC fight night, Nick John Braccia the third. Nick, did you know that this is the first men's flyweight main event in the last like six years in the UFC that's not a title match? That blows my mind. What was what was the previous one? It had to be like Joseph Benavidez against somebody. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not even sure what the last one was, Nick, but this was this is it. It's, again, as far as non-title bouts go. And the only reason that this is the main event, Nick, is because the actual main event ended up not working out. Uh, I think they originally had Jack Hermanson and Brendan Allen main eventing this this card. Now, here's the thing. Jack Hermanson and Brendan Allen is a decent fight. Is it like is it the, the difference between making this a good good card or a bad card? Absolutely not. Albazi and Carl France is a really good fight. I'm glad it's five rounds. I'm excited about that. But I think you you mentioned this you know before we started recording. Nobody's really ever heard of Albazi. Yeah, he's awesome, but... Yeah, he is not. I mean, let me look at. I'm looking at. I don't know if he's been on. I think he's only been on these shitty cards, right? Yep. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure it was low level UFC fight nights. Well, oh, he no, fought. He, he fought Usman, Usman Edwards too, but right. was he on the? Um, I, I'd imagine was on. I'd imagine that was either the opening bout or something close to it. Yeah, he it was. It was the fourth fight. It was um, the third fight of the night. Yeah. Right. Uh, yep. Before AJ Fletcher against Lusa, and right. before Sean Sean Woodson, uh, Luis Saldana, which which again tells you everything you need to know. Like the only the, this fight could have very well easily been on the prelims, even of this card, had they not needed a main event. But it's almost surprising that they didn't go with like some I don't know Daniel Pineda Alex Caceres matchup just to avoid putting flyweights on that top billing. In any case, Nick, yeah. we do have this card to break down. Look, there are some individual fights that are pretty good. Overall, as a card, I think it's you know fairly medium. But there are some individual fights that are good. There's some about half of these names are, are very familiar. You know, we've got guys like Andre Arlovsky, Jim Miller, Tim Elliott, Alex Caceres, Kaikar Franz. Right? These are all familiar names. Um, we've got uh, veterans, yeah. grizzled veterans. Yeah, Jared Gordon's on this one. Uh, Malarkey. Yeah, on I don't this like one. that, but we could talk about that later. Yeah, we can we, we can dive into it later, but uh, but we are going to break down this card. Let's quickly touch on the card from a couple of weeks ago. We didn't end up doing an episode for this one, but Dern versus Hill. This was, Woo! I mean, geez, like Dern looked fantastic. She had all of that drama with her divorce and 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 the domestic abuse allegations and all this stuff going on around her life leading into that, and she used it clearly as motivation, man, because she looked better than ever. She fought, I mean, she fought with an edge, and she, is her striking better? Yes. Was Angela Hill maybe over-indexing on, on making sure that she didn't end up in a bad submission position and, le- and left herself open for strikes? She did get caught with some knees and with some shots that I feel like Angela Hill wouldn't normally get caught with, as savvy as a striker uh, as she is, but when you're dealing with someone who's grappling is as good as, as Mackenzie Dern. Again, it's like you're not facing all fastballs. It's like you don't know when you're going to get a changeup. And she got, you know, she might have guessed wrong a couple times, didn't see stuff coming, and she got hurt bad. I've never seen Angela Hill, who's fought the best of the best time and time again. I've never seen her, like, walking on silly legs like that. Yeah, to, to that. And, to and that it was multiple times. Right. Yeah, I, I, have to, I have to agree with you there. And, 
Here's the thing. We saw her against Jessica Andrade when she made her UFC debut after winning the Invicta Strawway title. And Jessica Andrade was that same, like, just aggressive, athletic, hard-hitting opponent. But Jessica didn't hurt her as badly and as frequently. And Angela Hill being 38 years old with all the miles that she's accrued since 2013. She's now in her 10th year as a mixed martial artist and really fighting at a high level the great majority of that time, right? If you look at her record, she had... One fight prior to the Ultimate Fighter, one MMA fight, and that's was the kind of requirement. She lost on tough to the eventual uh, to the eventual finalist and Carlos Barza, eventual winner in Carlos Barza, and then dude, she dove right into it. Tisha Torres, Rose Namajunas, right? Like she had some really really tough opposition. Jessica Andrade, Nina Nunes. Uh, she lost to you know Randy yeah, Marcos. Crazy. Like crazy. She's had really high level competition since the beginning of her career. And look, that paired with the fact that Mackenzie Dern is that is an athletic dynamo. She is explosive. She is fast. And her aggression that probably was kind of stemmed from all of the uh, aggravations in life that she's going through at this point. Her aggression just really made for a tough fight for Angela Hill, who couldn't take her power, couldn't take her aggression. Like you know, Angela Hill's not super athletic. She's not super fast. She's crafty. She's got a lot of Muay Thai experience, but man, she was getting out outlanded here big. We all know on yeah. the ground, she was surviving on the ground. She got out of some tight submissions. Shocking, shocking. She's uh, she's also someone who's just been improving a lot. Um, you know, she's someone who we've seen get a lot better after no her initial stint in the UFC. She did go back to Invicta. She was not ready, right? And she came and she came back, and she's had a. She's had a really impressive uh, career in my in you know in my estimation. But the other thing that we saw with Dern is um, Dern came in, and I have to talk sensitively about this. Um, she came in a little bit thicker than her previous fights. She's been so lean in some but of the like recent ones man. after her it kid was, was born. Was I know, awesome. but it was yeah. there was a but there was a strength differential. I think that in I think that she was maybe a little too lean uh, previously, yeah. and and she was super. Strong. I mean, she she looked fantastic. Can't wait to see uh, her next fight. Her wrestling still. That I mean, that's the thing that she still needs to work on. For someone as athletic as her, like if she if she picks up some kind of either like explosive double leg or can um, just get a little bit more creative on her entries. I don't know. Go train with fucking Chris Weidman or some shit for a while. Like um, if. She, if she can do that, like, geez, she, I, she's going to be very tough to stop because she is durable, resilient, has a killer instinct, and is very skilled. That's the one piece that's still kind of missing from her game. She's, can't, she's not going to be able to pull off headlock takedowns against the elite. Uh, I mean, oddly enough, somehow it keeps happening at high-level women's MMA, but I tend to think you're right. I, I don't think that's going to happen against Zhang Wei Li. And she talked about, right. you know, you mentioned her being kind of more bulked up for this one. She talked about how Zhang Wei Li, how some of those girls at the very top of this division are very muscular. They're very strong. They're powerful, physically imposing, physically. And Dern, again, being the athletic dynamo that she is, on top of that being notably stronger, She ever since she had her uh, daughter, she came back in great shape. But now, being bulked up to this extent... That paired with the fact that she's got plenty of tenacity. She's super tough. Um, she's athletic. She's fast. She hits hard. You're right. Like The wrestling is the piece that is missing more than anything else. Because if you pair that with her athleticism and with her grappling once the fight hits the floor, man, that would make her incredibly tough for anybody to handle. It would make her a favorite over just about anybody in this division. Um, and, and so that's the I, I agree that's the area I think she needs to work on the most and that can make the biggest difference in her game. But I'm glad that she's developed her striking. Uh, I do have a belief that if you focus on one uh, improving one element of your game, um, 
you're going to make more progress than if you focus on improving every element of your game at the same time. So if she gives herself the same kind of focus now that she did with Jason Pearl on her striking, now with wrestling under somebody else, uh, you know, uh, uh, Izzy, Izzy Martinez or, or, or whoever, right? J- just somebody that's known for making fighters into good grapplers. I think that can make a big difference for her. So Go work I, with I GSP. Agree. I don't know how she yeah, feels about I, the colds. I, I, don't know. But I, like, I don't know that like yeah. GSP is out there doing privates with the Mackenzie Derns of the world, but... But yeah, I mean, who, 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 I don't know. I think there, I think I think anybody would do a private with Mackenzie Dern. Um, yeah, it's, uh, again, I, I I just I just don't find her as physically attractive as you do. Not that that's a major factor here, but uh, but listen, her charisma goes a long way, and 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 uh, and and she's got a look that's going to be certainly marketable. Nick, outside of that, I think the only thing worth mentioning is Anthony Hernandez. Man, just like he's he's mini Kane Velasquez. He's relentless. He's offensive. His pressure, his pace is tough for just about anybody to handle. He can be finished in a flash, and that's really the concern. You know, when it comes to him climbing the rankings at middleweight, but really impressive stuff by him. Yeah, and Shabazian got a feel for the guy. He looked really good for a round. Yeah, which which you know we know. Well, hang on. He looked really he looked really good for three quarters of a round. Sounds about right. Which again, we've known Shabazian to to have that right dynamic where he looks good early. His athleticism is a factor. He's willing to spend enough of his gas tank, but eventually when things get tough. Um, he's not able to keep up, and certainly when it comes to this level, when it comes to a certain level of a competition or this level of pressure, he's going to have a hard time with. Uh, outside of that, Buckley got a knockout. Diego Ferrer got a comeback knockout. Uh, Vacheslav Borishev looked good. Carolina Kowalkowicz pick, picked up another win. She's now on a three-fight, I think, winning streak. Chase Hooper looked really good against a non-UFC-ready guy. Um, not, not, not really too much else to discuss on that one. We can dive into no. uh, this. And I'm up, uh, you know, and I'm up four points. You are up four points, Nick, and, and I congratulate you on that. But again, the competition's not done. We're still right smack in the middle of it, buddy boy. Oh, yeah. Go whoop that ass, Nick. Go whoop that ass, Nikolai. Let's see. We're going to dive see. into UFC Fight Night, formerly known as Hermanson versus Allen. That is now Cara France versus Al Bazi. Nick, again, not a fantastic card, but again, some meat on the bone. There, there's some fights to look forward to. I, I, you know, there are fights that I'm willing to skip on this one because I tend to think they're going to be boring, even with familiar names like Max and Grishin yeah. and Philip Lins could very well be a Oof. really, really boring fight. Uh, but Nick, I, if I'm not mistaken, you have the first pick on this one, and what is your first pick? Oh boy, I was not prepared to have first pick. I was like that. I'm gonna go. Uh... Listen, I think that um, I think that Bruce Leroy has looked really good. He's coming to his own as a you know he's a he's a veteran now. It's funny because you think back and he seems like a rookie uh, still, but you know he's he's got a ceiling, but he's a he's a solid gatekeeper. And Daniel Pineda has been um, pretty uneven. There's the you know the suspensions and stuff, and I think that. The first round's going to be really close, but I see I see Caceres uh, running away with this. I think he's just got too many skills, too good of a gas tank, um, and we haven't seen Pineda make it through real, um, you know, the real tough moments that that Bruce Leroy has has weathered at this point in his career. So I'm gonna, I don't even know what the odds are on this one. Let me see. Yeah, I mean, my, yeah, minus one seventy five, minus one eighty five. I'm gonna. It's actually one of the bigger. Uh, divisions of uh, of the night. Um, so I'm going to go with Bruce Leroy. Yeah, definitely a bunch of even matched, at least odds-wise, even matched uh, fights on this card, and even some where the odds are a little bit further apart. I actually think this fight is pretty close on paper 
because Daniel Pineda is extremely dangerous uh, early and because Alex Caceres tends to fight the fight that his opponent is going to bring to him, right? You go for takedowns, he'll grapple with you. He'll stay on his back. You want to stand with him? He'll exchange strikes with you. And it could be competitive depending on what happens, right? Daniel Pineda is a fucking killer. He is a finisher. I believe he's finished every one of his opponents. And, and you know, he's been underestimated many times. But as dangerous as he is early, the way that Alex Caceres was... Uh, Alex Caceres lost uh, just a couple of years ago to Kron Gracie, right? Kron Gracie's only UFC win is Alex Caceres. So, like, there's some concern there, right? The fact that he just got beat by Pat Sabatini in a grappling match in the first round by Rune Choke. Daniel Pineda is extremely capable of doing exactly that. He got pieced up by Sadiq Youssef just a little while before that, and I know he's coming off of that knockout win over Julian Arosa, but, you know, the the Cron Gracie loss, the, the Pat Sabatini submission grappling loss, Sadiq Youssef loss, these are all concerning against more athletic, more dynamic grapplers, and, and I tend to think Pineda has the potential to do that. For that reason, I would have considered Pineda as a two-point pick, but I'm glad you made this pick. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not particularly confident in it. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... Again, all of these are gosh darn tough, Nikolai. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Kareem Silva to beat Ketlin Souza. Both are kind of one strike at a time fighters. Like you won't see a combination from either of them on the feet. But Kareem Silva is the bigger person. She's the she's the physically stronger person. She's a stronger grappler, and I think she'll be able to get takedowns uh, and and kind of stamp rounds that way, if not able, able to finish. Whereas you know on the feet, it's going to be fairly competitive. But uh, I'm going to go give the edge to the fighter who has more than one avenue, even though it's hard to rely on uh, you know fighters with this level of experience ufc wise at least i guess i'm kind of glad you took this one um i'm gonna go with and i'm not extremely confident here even though the odds are really wide uh fighter i like out of australia jamie malarkey um he's been he's been fun but he's a guy who seems to need to get hit a bunch to wake up uh and then he brings his a game all of his fights are close he's also taken over the last 24 months an awful lot of damage, <laughs> even in his wins. Um, he's just a guy that get, that uh, that scraps. All of his fights are, are are pretty scrappy. He's fighting a newcomer in Mahamajan Naimov, um, a Tajikistani fighter uh, fighting who's with Elevation Fight Team, That's which right. is a big deal. Um, but he's coming off of a cup. He's fought in Titan FC. He lost in the Contender Series to Colin England, and he's coming off of two wins in a promotion called Tough Enough T U F F hyphen N, hyphen UFF, um, against guys I haven't really heard of. Like, there's got to be something to this guy. Um, but Jamie Malarkey is a tough draw, I think, for, you know, for a rookie. Um, still, I'd, it'd have to be, he'd have to be awfully special uh, to put out a, a guy who's, who's weathered the storms and has the victories that Jamie Malarkey does in his, in his debut. So I think it's a, t- it's a tough draw for him. Yeah, especially since... I do think the odds are insane, though. Yeah, the odds are absolutely crazy, but th- that's the thing is that Naimov took this fight on just literally two or three days' notice, right? He fought at 145, fought at 155. He's going to be the smaller guy here. He's well-rounded, has a traditional martial arts background, pretty decent hands, like he'll 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 slip slightly and land a counter. The problem is that that looks like he's taking shots, and that's part of the reason he took... Uh, he lost that contender series bout is that he's there to be hit, even though he's like he's got some level of slick to him. Good takedown defense. He tends to reverse takedowns well and get on top. And and like you said, team elevations to his favor when it comes to cardio on short notice. But I gotta go with Malarkey here too. It's just too many question marks and and with Malarkey being kind of not super consistent, not super reliable. Uh Nymov's are you know, he, he's a talented guy. He's just like 
very inexperienced compared to Malarkey. No UFC experience, and on super short notice, you got to go with Malarkey. I'm there. Yeah, and what, well, what do you what do you think about the fact that Malarkey was training for Gurum Kutaladze? Uh, I mean, that would have been geez, that would have been an exciting fight, and I probably would have picked uh, Gutaladze. But um, yeah, I, t- I tend to I tend to agree with you. That's the thing is that he was training for a really good grappler who doesn't necessarily have the best stand up. Whereas you know, Naimov is gonna lean more toward the stand up, although he does like to get on top and, and do some damage from there as well. I just tend to think Jamie Malarkey is super tough, and for a young guy coming in, um, best bet is to just get a guy get a veteran out of there with a big shot or something. And Malarkey's just too tough to to give into something like that. He's got a good chin. He's steadily improving. He's not athletic at all, right? But he he's piecing together every element of the of the game that he can control. And I think again, this is like the level of fight that he's going to tend to win. This is a like you know a, a CFFC main event kind of kind of matchup for Jamie Malarkey, and and this is a fight he's going to do well. And I tend to think again, uh, Naimov is a talented guy, so he shouldn't be too underestimated, especially with these disrespectful odds. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between John Castaneda and Muin Gafurov. Gafurov, like, doesn't look awesome on the feet. He'll just, like, throw one shot at a time and then go right into the clinch, go for the takedown, top position, and try to do work from there. I don't think that's going to be enough, especially on short notice against John Castaneda. Castaneda looked really good in his last matchup until, you know, he almost he almost finished, actually, another guy that's on this card multiple times. Like, he dropped him multiple times, but he couldn't close the deal uh, against Daniel Santos. Daniel Santos' pressure eventually ended up uh, engulfing him. And, and again, the part of the reason Jeff Castaneda got tired is because he had multiple opportunities to finish, and he went for it in that first round and a half. Um, I, I tend to think that he's going to have the edge here. Although, Muin Gafarov, you got to say, 18-4 and four guys, super, super experienced. He's not he's not one of these guys that's like 8-1 and one making his UFC debut on short notice. That makes a difference. And this is another Tajik fighter. We went from having no fighters from Tajikistan to now having, I think this is... This is going to make four or five fighters in the UFC from Tajikistan. And that's only in the last couple of months, so it's it's interesting to see what kind of talent that country can produce. Uh, indeed, I'm. Oof. I'm going to go with. Um, it's hard to pick against uh, one of my other MMA crushes, but I'm going to go with Elise Reed, um, who I don't think has any great shakes to beat uh, Jin Frey. Frey, <coughs> you know, Frey is now 38, following her run in Evicta, where she was, I believe, the Atomweight champion. Um, her UFC run, you know, not not too good. She's got a couple of wins, um, a very, very uh, close split decision, and she got knocked the fuck out by Pollyanna uh, Vienna. And she's in there uh, against a, a much younger... Uh, fighter who's who's beaten some good prospects gave Corey McKenna a prospect loss. Um, I Frey has not like really successfully used her kickboxing, um, and she's also pretty easy to take down. So I just Frey just ha- for the most part just hasn't looked real good except for moments when she's leaning on her jab. Um, so I think that I think that Reed should should be able to beat a fighter who's probably pretty close to retirement. Yeah, it does seem like Frey is probably heading in that direction. She's coming off of two losses. A split decision loss to Vanessa Demopoulos that she probably should have won. And then Pollyanna Viana got her out of there with hooks in the first round. Pollyanna Viana is a hard hitter, man. It's not like un-understandable, but it's tough looking at seeing her in that situation and now coming back about seven months later. Like she took some time off. And she's not facing the absolute heaviest hitter on planet Earth, but at least Reed is a good striker, man. She's effective from there. 
The thing is that she's not all that great from her back, and Jin Yufrey's willing to go for takedowns. For that reason, I ended up edging Jin Yufrey by a hair, but it's hard to be confident either way, and I'm glad you're making this pick, especially this early. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Andre Olovsky and Dontel Mays. Dontel Mays is a giant. He's huge. He looks athletic, but he's not. He's not tough mentally. He's not He's not all that durable. He doesn't have the best cardio. He doesn't have the best overall technique. I assume that Andre Olovsky and him have trained together in the past at Greg Jackson's because that's where Dontel Mays does a lot of his training. Um, Andre Olovsky, like at this age, like we've waved him off years ago, right, For uh, after the many knockout losses that he's had and he's coming off of a fight in which he was knocked down badly and then submitted shortly after it just seems like Andre Olovsky at this point his ground game is not very good we've seen him get submitted a couple of times in the recent past I don't expect Dontel Mace to be able to pull that off I think Andre Olovsky's speed is still going to be there he's still one of the faster heavyweights despite you know his age despite all the miles that he's got on him the man made his debut in the 90s Nick there are a lot of UFC fighters that are young uh, that were not born yet when Andre Olovsky made his MMA debut when he was champion there are some fighters who were born after he was champion, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that are currently in the UFC. So, so Andre Olovsky, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with him. I think the UFC keeps giving him these uh, winnable fights, and I think this is one of those situations. Unless he's really passed, and unless Dante Mays lands a bomb by accident, I expect Andre Olovsky to win a tepid decision here. Same. Um, all right, I'm gonna do something, and this may be the card where I'm just making a lot of stupid choices, but. Uh, I am going to pick against a favorite here. It'll be my one underdog pick. <clears throat> and this is me going against like the sabermetrics, data-centric approach to sports uh, anal- uh, analysis and going more with uh, what we learned from watching a movie like Casino, which is know what's going on with the fighters behind the scenes. I remember when someone said, uh, Mike Brown, I think it was, was like, Jake Shields is going to lose to Jake Ellenberger because Jake Shields has personal problems with his girlfriend or whatever right now. And then Jake Shields got knocked the fuck out. It might have been after his dad died, too. I can't remember. But um, it like it's hard for, for people to stay focused and do a sport that requires this much discipline and attention if your head's not right. There's a flyweight fighter in Tim Elliott who's very publicly, and I'm actually a little disappointed that Bloody Elbow even published this stuff and other people ran with it. One of his groomsmen from his wedding, Kevin Kroom, is now with Tim. You know, is now with Tim Elliott's wife. Like basically, Tim Elliott's wife left him for Kevin Kroom. It's on all the MMA websites. That all broke at a time that would have been during this training camp. And I'm like, if it were me, my head wouldn't be particularly straight. Now combine that with the fact that Tim Elliott, if I recall, is a Kraus fighter or was a Kraus fighter, whatever that means. Um, and I'm just like, how? How with it's this dude going to be? Is he going to be able to take on competition the level of, of Victor Altamirano um, with all this inst- with instability? Instability in the training that he's had the last couple of years and instability in his personal life. So I'm going to go – I'm going to try to leverage those tough times uh, that Tim Elliott is having, make a two-point pick and pick uh, Victor Altamirano. Yeah, so Tim Elliott's known as the crappy, the scrappy wrestler, kind of, kind of got of a funk style, kind of like Aljamain Sterling, where like he goes for stuff that most people don't. The way that he throws the strikes, he's super unorthodox. Then Victor Altamirano is just like super sloppy, right? Not very much power, not the best defense, but the dude has tenacity and toughness for days. And look, given everything that's going on with Tim Elliott, I can see where you're coming from. When I when I pick for those reasons, it tends not to go well for me. But here's the thing. Um, Tim Elliott in his corner in his last fight was his wife, Gina Mazzani, and James Krause. 
Neither of those people are available to him now. What has his training camp been like, right? Like he's, James Krause has had a positive effect on him and that he calmed him down and made him capable of fighting for three rounds. I don't know if he's going to be capable of doing that. He's talking about getting a finish out there so he can get the mic. And I don't know if he wants to call out Kevin Kroom or what, right? But but the fact that his mindset is there is concerning. At the same time, Tim Elliott's also a guy that, you know, he fought he fought one of his best fights uh, a couple of years ago against Jordan Espinoza in a matchup where I think he was the underdog. And Jordan Espinoza, you know, he a, a former training partner of his, and apparently he was riled up by the fact that Jordan Espinoza's ex girlfriend messaged Tim Elliott and said that he's a, you know, he hit her, etc. Um, and and so like Tim Elliott being in this kind of mind space, it might actually be helpful for him. I, I don't know. He's coming off a win over Tagir Ulanbekov in a matchup that I think I may have picked Tim Elliott as an underdog in, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I'm, I'm giving the edge to Tim Elliott very slightly just because he's got an actual game and he can get takedowns here on paper, but you're not wrong to take the underdog swing on Victor Altamirano given everything that Tim Elliott's going through, especially since Tim Elliott's talking about finishing the fight so he can get the mic. Like, what is his motivation? What is his training like? I, I, I don't... I don't blame you. I don't fault you for making this pick. Very well could be that Tim Elliott looks really good for a round, and then Victor Altamirano takes over, and just just his tenacity just, and his aggression just takes over, and and Tim Elliott can't really hang anymore and and is exhausted. Uh, my next pick is going to be. I think that I'm going to go with. Daniel Santos to beat Johnny Munoz. This fight was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago. Johnny Munoz is a really good offensive grappler once the fight is on the ground. He doesn't have the best wrestling. Um, he's developing a striking. He's got a really good jab all of a sudden. It's a consistent jab. But I don't know if that's going to be enough against Daniel Santos. Um, unless whatever reason he had to pull out of that fight a few weeks ago is a, is a major factor here. I think it was something in his leg. Um, the commission didn't let him uh, didn't let him go through with it. Daniel Santos, super durable. He can get beat up, roughed up for five, ten minutes straight, and then he'll still keep trying. He'll still keep walking forward. You can drop him, knock him down, and he's going to get up and keep walking forward and coming at you. He's kind of like uh, 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 he's kind of like Charles Oliveira, except he doesn't have the elite ground game. Um, but in that, like, he's going to get dropped. He's willing to get dropped. There's not much defense to his game because he's always moving forward with aggression. But he is relentless when he gets back up to his feet. He's going to continue to put that pressure on you. And if you can't hang, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Uh, I just feel like uh, he's facing a guy in this matchup, Johnny Munoz, who tends to get tired. Johnny Munoz could get a submission, I guess, on paper in the first round. I tend to doubt that's going to be the case, especially with Santos getting time and with Charles Oliveira. I tend to think his submission defense should be good enough to make it through possibly a rough few minutes before taking over with his aggression and pressure. What you got, Nicky boy? I'm with you on that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick one of your guys, I suppose, in this uh, in this next fight. I th- I'm gonna go with um, the power and athleticism of uh, Eliza Zaleski over uh, Abukar Nurmagomedov. Um, this is a good fight. This is gonna be. I think this is one of the the watch it fights uh, of the night. And I just, I, I just, I look at their resumes, and I just think Zaleski's got a bit, a bit stronger of one. And then there's, and there's been moments where there's been an opportunity to to step up to the, the level where Zaleski's had success, where I don't really feel like uh, Nurmagomedov has, you know, has always passed the test. You know, looking at looking at like the David Zawada fight, for example. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do hear that. It's a, it's a tricky one because Nurmagomedov right now is in, like, the best training situation, you know, that he could possibly be in, right? He's training with Bilal Muhammad. He's training at AKA, under Khabib, under 
under uh, Javier Mendez, under some of the better coaches in one of the best teams on planet Earth, with one of the best welterweights on planet Earth. It sounds like they're they're specifically uh, spending a lot of one-on-one time with Bilal. Um, whereas Zaleski, Zaleski Dos Santos is coming off of, I think, a steroid suspension, if I'm not mistaken. Um, coming off of, he's, he's what, 30, 37, 38 years old now? He's not a young is guy. He, he just, he only fought, he just, oh, wait a minute, that's two years ago. Yeah, and, and it's almost, I think it's something like 19 months ago is the last time he, he's 36, actually. He's not that old for, for 170. It's it's not, you know, it's not the worst thing, I suppose. But, but you know, there are some concerns about that, right? Like, Abubakar is not, I mean, he's the least talented Nurmagomedov that you'll ever lay your, lay your eyes on. And, and it tends to be the case for anybody that, that's part of that you team. Haven't, that's because you haven't met Billy Nurmagomedov. Billy? Who, <laughs> he's the, he is the water boy at AKA. Willa, Willa Gomed, Willa Gomed, Norma Gomedov, Nikolai. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard about Billy, but he's probably so untalented in MMA that he chose to be an accountant anyway. Uh, Nick, I, I'm, I'm going to, I mean, ever so by the slightest margin, I'm going to disagree with you and pick a Bubakar just because he's got, a, he's got a really good developing jab. He's training with a high-level team. And Zaleski's training in Brazil. He's not training at ATT where he's traditionally trained. He's off the sauce, presumably, in order to make it to this fight. And presumably on paper could have been on the sauce recently. He's 36 years old, paired with that, right? That's at a point in life when testosterone levels have been dropping for a couple of years now on top of the fact that he might be off the juice. So I'm going to edge Abubakar ever so slightly just because of the kind of training dynamics. But if these guys all else being equal in the vacuum, I probably would have picked Zaleski. I like Zaleski a lot. He's a really fun fighter to watch. Uh, Abubakar is not at all a fun fighter to watch. He'll get top position and hold you there. He'll hold you against the fence and do nothing. Standing at a distance, he'll only throw his jab. So again... I hope he doesn't get his way, and I hope Zaleski uh, wins, and I hope that you're right. But I, I've got to go with uh, Abubakar, if only by the slightest of hairs. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup. This is where everything gets tougher. All of these are really difficult to pick. I think I'm going to go ahead and take... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an underdog swing, even though these haven't been going all that well for me. I, I'm in the Jared Gordon-Jim Miller matchup. Jared Gordon's the much better fighter. Jim Miller's super good at finishing early. And Jared Gordon's coming off of a knockout about a month ago, man. I know it was a headbutt, but he still was badly concussed. What is he doing in this fight so soon after? Uh, skill for skill, like outside of him coming off a knockout, I'm picking Jared Gordon here with confidence because the guy's got the, the guy's got uh, the experience. He's got he's, his striking is improving a tremendous amount. His left hook is fantastic at this point, um, but the left hook is not the ideal power punch against the southpaw. Jim Miller has some serious power. He's got one shot knockout power, and he's also the kind of guy that if he doesn't finish you with strikes, he can catch you in a quick submission before you realize what's happening. And Jared Gordon's been submitted before too, and he's coming off that knockout loss. For that reason, I'm edging ever so slightly for on Jim Miller because of that uh, two-point value. Uh, as our listeners know, you get uh, two points for an underdog, correct underdog pick of plus 150 to plus 249, uh, three points for plus 250 and above, and Jim Miller being this this uh, this decent size of a dog a month after Gordon got knocked out, I'm gonna edge him, but I'm sure I'm gonna regret this. Interesting. Um, so what do we got left? There's three fights left. There are three fights left, and uh, we're officially picking two of them only. Um. Okay, I'm gonna go. Um, in the main event, I'm gonna go with the. We got these are two bangers. I'm gonna uh, <clears throat> and there isn't really an underdog, right? This is even money. I believe it's pretty, yeah, pretty close to even. I'm gonna go with Amir Albazi, and I think these guys are so evenly matched. It's this is solely based on the fact that 
Amir is on his way up, and the title shot and everything is like he's the hungrier dude. He's the he's the rising star. Kaikara France has been on the cusp um, a couple of times, and you know he lost he lost that really exciting. Only this is the guy's name Brandon. He's lost twice <laughs> to the champion, um, and once to Brandon Royval. He's had some really good victories, and he's got super power. He can end it, you know, at any time. Um, just ask Cody Garbrandt or, 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 or Rogerio Bonterin. But I, it's just like, how many times can you, how hungry are you when you're, you know, fighting for another shot against the guy that's beaten you? A couple of times, like I just see this as two evenly matched guys, and one's ascending, and one is kind of stuck in a bit of a gate, gatekeeper position. And I tend to, I tend to favor the guy that doesn't know what it's like on the other side, the guy who doesn't know how how to feel that despondent uh, yet. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Albazi just because I think the momentum uh, is on his side. But any either one of these guys, I think, could end the fight in a flash. Yeah, Albazi is known for his really good grappling. Um, he's really developing his jab, but his his stand-up game is fairly simple, and he's like within range to get clocked pretty clean. He's just fought like a pretty medium, I mean, mediocre level of competition overall till this point. Um, obviously, he's got Jalgashumogulov, and he's like one of the few guys that won over him decisively, and that's really by far his best win. Outside of that, Francisco Figueredo is not a good fighter. Um, Alessandro Costa, I think, was making his UFC debut. He's, he's he might be decent, but who knows? Malcolm Gordon, he finished in the first round, right? Like these are these are not high level opponents that he's disposed of. Kaikar France has not only fought and at times lost to, but beaten some really high level opposition. Askar Askarov's a really good grappler. He was able to defend just about all of his takedowns, if not all of them, right? He was undefeated up until that fight. Cody Garbrandt, he knocked out, got out of there. Rogeri Bontarin, he knocked out and got out of there after being controlled for, for a minute or so. Brandon Royval ended up getting him there, but it's not like Albazi fights in the way that Brandon Royval does. Um, I tend to think that, and Brandon Moreno, like, that's his last fight, right? It was for the interim title against Brandon Moreno back in July of last year. And I'm glad that he took this much time off after taking that lever kick. But he was looking really good against Brandon Moreno until that loss. And Brandon Moreno's been looking kind of untouchable outside of that, uh, outside of those first couple of rounds against uh, Kaikar France. So I'm going to edge Kaikar France. I think he could avoid most takedowns. I think he's way more dynamic on the feet and he can land much bigger bombs. Would it surprise me if... Uh, Albazi gets a couple of rounds from top position and, and, and it's super close and it could go either way and, and maybe those go Albazi's way. No. Hell, wouldn't shock me if Albazi is able to submit him because Karkar France's weakness generally has been on the ground. But I'm going to go with Karkar France. He's a more proven product to face elite composition and he's looked really good against the current champion who who's a really, really good fighter, as you can imagine. So I disagree with you on the pick, but I see where you're coming from and picking the up-and-comer there. Next, I'm going to take in the Maxim Grishin-Philip Lenz matchup I think I've got to go with Maxim Grishin here. On paper, this is a this is a very close. Philip Lenz, you know, he's looked better lately, and he I know he trains an American top team. I'm not sure how consistent he is there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, was is Philip Lenz coming off of some kind of a suspension, Nikolai, or, or was that maybe a little while ago? Um, in any case, he's, he showed up more recently, looking in better shape, which 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 is something where he's coming off a knockout win over Ovin St. Preux, whereas Maxim Grishin like. The low output really concerns me, but he's a big guy. He makes good decisions in there. He has good counter strikes. I think I'm going to edge Maxim Grishin by by you know by just a very very small margin. But this is a hard fight to be confident in. Sorry, I was looking up if he had had if he had, had a suspension. Who is your pick? Uh, Maxim Grishin. 
Grisham. Did he, in fact, Can't have we... suspension, Nick? Not that I saw on his Wikipedia page. Got it. And I am have... 0% excited for this fight. Yeah, this fight's not going to be fun. There's a fair chance that the Kareem Silva, Caitlin Souza fight is not going to be very fun to watch. Andre Arlovsky, Dantel Mays is probably going to be pretty boring. Um, outside of Abubakar Nurmagomedov versus Alicia Zaleski, even though Zaleski is generally exciting, that could be very boring. There's a chance Gordon Miller's boring, but I tend to doubt it. I, I tend to think the danger factor will will make it a little bit more interesting from the Miller side. But yeah, I mean, there's going to be some fights that are not going to be super exciting. About half this card is pretty solid, man. Is is what I'll say. The other half is fairly fairly mediocre. Uh, you well, know who, do you, who do you like? Who do you like in the bout between uh, two? Uh, Bantam weights that are you know just inside the top 100. <laughs> Damon Blackshear and, I, and I'm, I hope I'm saying that right versus Luan. Damon Blackshear and Luan. Is, is and it Luan uh, Nick, I believe, I believe yeah. it's your turn to make the pick, so I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Wow. What you just did was like a John Jones kick to my knee. Oh, did that um, not feel good? Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't know jack shit about either of these guys. I'm gonna go with Lacerda. Yeah, I'm giving a slight edge to Lacerda. He's in his only second UFC bout, um, but he, we know that he's a really dangerous grappler, and he looked pretty good. Like, there's an argument to be made that he may have lost his. Uh, I'm sorry, that he may have won his UFC debut, which I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure that it wasn't short notice against Cody Stamen, who's a top ten guy, right? And and he looked pretty good. He had him in danger in that third round, and honestly, it was somewhat competitive standing up as well. Um, versus Blackshear, who's a really good grappler offensively, but he makes bad decisions out there. He might listen to his corner, but his MMA IQ is not super, super high. Offensively, he's a good grappler, but he tends to get tired late in the fight as well, whereas Luan Lacerda had his, uh, his best round was the third round against Cody Stamen. Um, I tend to pick the better striker and grapplers against the better wrestler, and I believe Luan Lacerda should be a slightly better striker and, and a more dangerous striker and should be a notably better offensive grappler on the ground, so I'm going to go with Lacerda. Well, Nicola? this should be this should be a card that almost no one cares about except the parents of the fighters. <laughs> that sounds and, about right. And yeah, what do we got coming up? Is there anything UFC two eighty nine coming up? We got we got one of the greatest female fighters of all time, Amanda Nunes versus Irina Aldana. Charles Oliveira, Benil Daryush is the co main event. I hope that that stays intact. Eric Anders versus Mark Andre Barriou is not a great main card fight, so it's a little bit concerning oh, that that's that high up. We got Dan, we'll this could goes. be a fight of the year candidate next, though. Danny Gay versus Nate Lamber, yeah, that, that'll that, be that could, sure. that's that, yeah, that's got all kinds of potential. And again, uh, Mike Mallet versus Adam Fugit is on the main card. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why is that? happening? And then Chris Curtis against the Russian sniper, oh, that's and Chris Dawkins against Cleo Roundtree are like. On the and that's less interesting, but Kurt Curtis, what Curtis should have earned from his last few fights against Nazardine Imovov, how is that not on the friggin' main card? That is where maybe, I don't, maybe or at least he- or at least headlining the pay per view. Oh, like, or headlining the prelims? You mean yeah? I mean yeah, yeah, yeah headlining the prelims. Like it is, but yeah, it should be there over over Fugit Malat. It should even be there over Anders uh, Mark Andre uh, Barrio. hundred percent. Yeah, like, the, like again, the the card does not look great. Like. Like, these fights could actually be... If you take out Charles Oliveira, Benil Daryush, Amanda Nunes, Arena Aldana, this is a medium fight night. Like, not even a good UFC fight night, honestly. David Dvorak is on this one, which which is always nice. Chris Dawkins versus Khalil Rontree is going to be fun. That's going to be violent. I like Chris... Chris Carter versus Imovov probably would have been the main event of this of this proverbial fight night where uh, that's not main evented and co-main evented by uh, Amanda Nunes, Arena Aldana, Charles Oliveira, Benil Daryush. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the the top two fights are fantastic, and then outside of that, there's there's a bunch of fluff and and I you know I don't know if it's the matchmaking team, I don't know what this is, I don't know if it's them trying to lower their budget and bring in all these debuting fighters, but the cards have been medium lately, man. They've not been good. I dude. know. Like this has been kind of. I know. Well, buddy, bloody elbow's been complaining about it, and Mick Maynard went after them on Twitter. Oh yeah, what do what, what did he say? Uh, I'll let you check it out. He's just being. Uh, Grumpy and dismissive. Maybe make for better matchmaking, Mick Maynard. Maybe like don't make the priority saving the UFC money with all these ten thousand dollar fighters and actually build up some good cards, dude. Like you have the capability of doing that shit. Come on, dude. Come on, Mick Maynard. Ugh. Well, I'm excited that I can watch Imavov Chris Curtis for free, I guess. Or not for free, but for whatever I pay ESPN plus ESPN plus. They've convinced me that it's free because it's not eighty dollars. Anyway. Right. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I, see, I see the Mick Maynard tweets. Uh, Betcha bloody elbow complain about the UFC card this weekend. I love all of you. Like, what, what, that's it. That's that's all he said. It's not even that bad. I think there was a little back and forth. There, bloody elbow has been firing shots back too. Oh yeah. Okay. I can I, I can I can appreciate bloody elbow. But I mean, like, what the fuck? Like, you're making for shit cards. Like, like make make yeah. better cards. You're a fucking matchmaker. And the 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 Nazi that you took the place of was a terrible human being. And and uh, Joe, Joe Silva. But, dude, he made for some good cards. It was exciting shit going on. And he also, like, took up some of that uh, some of that UFC point where, like, there were two UFC fight nights per night at times, right? So he he's – Joe Silva was part of the matchmaking team when there were 40 or forty to 50 cards a year. Um, so there's not, not really any good excuses, man. This is just – this is just bullshit. I forgot I no about idea. the time when there were I've... two car- two cards in one day. He said, I have no idea why I'm doing this, but which card did you actually think was bad? These athletes have been amazing. Yeah, the athletes are great. Put them in the right situations and the right matchups. Put one or two debuting fighters per card instead of fucking four or five or six of them. God damn it, Mick Maynard. God damn it. Uh, Mick Maynard seems like a decent guy, by the way. I, you know, he, you know, I'm not vehemently against him. It's just like the matchmaking's been medium, if we're going to be honest. Agree. Harsh agree. Well, let's see what happens. It seems like you disagreed with a lot of my picks, so you could you could come out of this with a two point lead if you if uh, I'm I playing blow the long everything. game, Nick. Oh, you'd have to blow absolutely everything, and I and I have to hit on everything. I'm playing the long game, Nick. I'm gonna inch. Uh, I'm gonna continue to inch closer, and uh, and then take over toward the end of the year as I tend to do. Well, I'm glad that my intense in, intense training and research phase is paying off and keeping you at bay. All right. And, on and that intense note, intense is the first word that comes to mind when I think of Nick John Bracha the third. Intense. Just that look you're giving me is actually pretty intense right now. All right, bud. That'll do it. All right. Until next time. Looking forward to it, man.